I've got my favorite podcast guest with me. It's Lacey Partipillo. Lacey, it's good to see you. Thanks for having me again. This we're going to do with something unique. I think we've done this before in the past. We're going to ask me anything. And are you ready for this? <laughs> as ready as I'll ever be. We'll start with a, a like a softball question for you. What's something that employers do that drives you crazy? Can I give you can I give two examples? 100%. I'd love okay. That. So, first one is not so it's more related to just working with Zenium is trying to do all these initiatives when the organization is just not ready for that uh, amount of change. Like too, doing yeah. too much at once without any sort of change management in progress. Yeah. And some of that's related to this feeling that I sometimes get where people are just trying to check the box and not really being thoughtful about how those systems, processes, initiatives maybe actually tie into the business objectives. So that gets frustrating. The other thing is just adding lots of really random perks that don't tie into the kind of greater picture of benefits. Things like adding beer in the fridge or... I would totally take that <laughs> as a perk. <laughs> I'm not saying love, it's a bad, it's a bad thing. I, I think we need to be more strategic. I think the days right. of having a ping pong table in the office are, they have come and gone and mm -hmm. really listening to your employee group about what they need and want is more important than having a laundry list of fun things. I just think that the workplace has changed. So that's yeah. annoying that people think that's still a thing. I like that. I think it can be an and. So if yep. you have those fun things, I think those fun things are great, but it can't be like the perk. If you have like student loan repayment plans and 401k matching, and like you have these benefits that actually are meaningful for somebody's yeah well-being, whether it's physical, financial, mental, all those things. And then you have the ping pong table and beer keg on top of it. Great. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah. The, that can't be your focal point. So I hear you completely. Yeah. Artificial intelligence. It's making its way into this industry, the HR industry, to streamline practices. What are you seeing from artificial intelligence tools? Do you think it's a good thing, a bad thing? wait and see. I'm curious what your thoughts are on it. Yeah. I think you've asked me this before, like years ago. And I think my answer now is probably different than what it's been. The first thing that I'll say, and maybe this is just like job protection for myself, is that HR is humans and people. And yeah. I just don't think that you can replace the support that a seasoned and caring HR professional can bring to the table with artificial intelligence. I just don't think you can. I think HR is strategic now. And so there are processes that I think can be improved with AI and access to information for employees, making things more accessible more quickly. Sure. I totally agree with that. But having somebody that can help your manager put together a development plan and work with supervisors and leaders to make them better contributors to the organization, I just don't think that can be done solely with AI. Maybe there's yeah. a way to supplement and to make information accessible. But I think having someone who cares and who understands mm -hmm. people and how psych the psychology of people within an organization works, I think that's going to always be important. The artificial intelligence like just topic is fascinating to me because what I always think about when you, anytime you want to use technology, it's about 
what are like these mundane repeatable tasks that really don't need a human anymore? Like it's mm-hmm. when I think of economics, I always think of highest and best use of anything, whether it's a building that you blow up and you now make it into multi-level or multifamily housing. Same thing applies here where you're like, this is not a great use of Lacey's time anymore. We can actually solve this with a tool. We'll do it faster, cheaper. And now Lacey's freed up to do something that's higher value, which might be working with people. I'm seeing it slowly make its way into the HR industry. I've been using artificial intelligence for years because I'm on the marketing side of the world. I've got tools that I use for actually for editing podcasts, for example, that can artificially create my voice to fill in words. It's absolutely insane. I've got an artificial intelligence copywriter. So these are things that... Their technology is there to allow me to, it frees up my time and mm-hmm. it, maybe it wasn't a, a best use of my time or maybe just it can do it better than I could do it. Mm-hmm. But it saves me time. In the HR industry, I see this happening where if you're trying to find something, like mm-hmm. a candidate is trying to find something, maybe like it speeds up the recruiting process. It maybe recommends like a certain article or a policy or something that you're looking for when it comes to a handbook. I don't know. There's so many uses for it, but I think you're absolutely right. You don't want to take the human out of human. And I think there's always a place for strategic HR people. It's Mm -hmm. just, we got to think clearly about what are those repeatable administrative things that it's not a good use of our time to be doing Mm -hmm. it. And you just got to plug in the right tools. But what I'll say about just technology in general, and you'd probably agree with this, is the people creating the tools are people, right? So mm-hmm. there could be hidden bias in all of these tools. I hear this a lot in applicant tracking sure. systems. You've got a, an engineer creating this. And unless you have true artificial intelligence where it's self-learning, mm-hmm. it's still created by somebody possibly with bias. So you've got to take that into account when you add a tool to your HR stack. I think also like the tools are maybe not created by HR professionals. So there are implications from a legal standpoint and just from a best practice viewpoint that, you know, things could be missed by adding in AI to processes. And so I think we just need to question stuff as we're thinking about implementing it and really think through what are the downstream effects and risks that might be associated with, with implementing a program. Performance management, I've seen a lot of different models over the years, Mm -hmm. performance reviews and star ratings and whatever. I'm curious what your like your top performance management model would be. Like if you had your choice, you go implement it for one of your clients or you're founding your company from scratch and you're like, okay, this is the model that's in place to get the most bang for the buck in terms of developing my people and keeping them engaged and motivated and all that. What does that look like? I don't think it's a one size fits all. Oh, damn it, Lacey. But what I will say is that I think every system that is implemented needs to incorporate some type of regular cadence of one-on-ones. If you've got a process where there is some type of formal review that happens twice a year or once a year, and maybe you are an organization where ratings are important to incorporate because of compensation, and maybe there's some connection or tie there, I understand that. And I also like the model where we've gone away from the really big event, the really formal process and less formal, but more frequent touch bases are incorporated, regardless of which end of the spectrum that that an organization chooses to be at. I think the impact actually happens in the regular one-on-ones that managers and employees have to 
build rapport and relationship, trust, and have that flow both ways, right? Like the employee to the manager and the manager back to the employee in terms of how are things going and what structures of support are needed for someone to be successful. So if the one-on-one is like that necessary piece to a really effective performance management model, how are you structuring that one-on-one to make sure that you're keeping on track for the overarching goals or the questions you're asking mm-hmm. or a structure that you have in place? Mm-hmm. How do you run your one-on-ones? For me, I think having the individual's goals and development opportunities top of mind and actually like on the form that I'm using so that I have multiple folks that report to me and trying to keep track of that for managers can be challenging. Whether you're using a platform to do it or even just a Google Doc or a document that is saved and updated with every meeting, having it right there I think is important. I like one-on-ones where the employee drives the agenda. So giving some ideas for topics, trying to keep the tactical day-to-day work out of the one-on-one if possible can be really effective. It's I don't think I've ever had a meeting where we didn't talk about something related to the work that the individual was doing, but solving the problems of the work in the one-on-one can derail really like development-focused conversations. And so I have some clients that have split those. I have done that too with my employees um, to try to keep that time their time. And then if we're going to talk about client work, for example, we're doing that separate. And it does add extra meeting time, but I just believe that time that they get with their manager and with me is really important. Yeah, And I want it to be time well spent. I've always found that if you have one meeting scheduled with your one of your employees, it can become a tactical meeting about the work itself versus mm-hmm. development. So I did what you did. I've separated meetings. Like one is tactical project planning and check-ins on that stuff. Mm-hmm. And one is fully like one-on-one to your time, work on development stuff, whatever. So right. I like that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Remote work has been interesting, challenging, all of the above. It's pushed us as managers to really figure out, even as just leaders in general, managers are it's tough in some ways leading is a whole different thing because you might have like just your philosophy on the culture and all that it really becomes apparent when you're leading a group of people what have you done to keep people engaged in this remote work era and i assume you think it's here to stay forever i'm of the belief that it is for most organizations especially like us like professional services and stuff how do you keep people engaged what are your thoughts on it I think it's changed since the pandemic started. So I think there were things that that I was doing then that I'm maybe not doing as much of now. And everyone's comfort level is different too. So we're in a hybrid environment. I don't think remote's going away. I do think more organizations are trying to figure out what does hybrid mean and how can we have it be effective? Because if it's this random come in the office when you want to, and there's there isn't some structure to it, what what I have seen happen is that there isn't a lot of overlap. So just what are the chances that everybody picks the same day? So I think that can be difficult. I don't know that I'm doing it really well, keeping people engaged, but I'm checking in and trying to do that every day, trying to have some kind of touch base, even if it's just like a Teams chat with someone. We just do a lot of collaborating here. So organically, the work has made it possible that we're, we're interacting. And I very seldom go more than a day or two where I'm not interacting with one of my direct reports. That's great. Well, just, I try to be responsive. I try to be interested in the work that they're doing. And that's not different than pre 
pandemic and pre-remote hybrid environment. I do think based on feedback that I've received and what I hear at clients too about managers and employees that are struggling with one another, not making time to be available. And sometimes that's because of job structure issues, workload issues, just bandwidth in general, that can make it difficult. It's not maybe that the manager doesn't want to respond, but what can we do to try to make a more concerted effort to be interested in the work that our team is doing? I think that really increases engagement for employees. What are you working on right now that's fun, engaging? What what gets you out of bed in the morning? We're doing a lot of work around process improvements here. And that has been exciting to look at things with a, with a different set of eyes. So I've looked forward to talking about what are some opportunities to make things more efficient, to make the job easier. I've also been doing a lot of work around account management. And so I'm really excited about some of the things that we're talking about just in terms of how does our team support and serve our clients in a more efficient way? And the jobs have been hard. Our team, we ask a lot of our team and client work in any industry is demanding. And so helping the team stay organized, building tools to help them do that. And then it's been really fun to see the team using them and getting feedback. And I know they're using the tool because they're coming to me saying, hey, could we tweak this or check out this thing that I just did, seeing them be excited about it, that makes me want to do more and make make more time in my schedule to, to put a better concerted effort out there for that work. You can take this next question any direction you want. What's the biggest innovation that you've seen in the HR industry since you've been in this field? Like you've been in a lot of years, right? Mm-hmm. What you started in recruiting, grew up through Zenium as an HR rep, HR business partner, director level, client experience. You've seen it really all of it, like in a long time. And there's been a lot of technological changes. The best practices are changing. I'm curious, what is like the biggest, wow, I can't believe we went from here to here. What was that? The thing that feels the most different to me is the multi-state compliance complexity that has changed. So... I don't remember ever talking to clients about places outside of Oregon or Washington, like ever. And it was very rare that somebody had Mm. someone that worked outside of the Northwest. I think that has just, it was growing before the pandemic and has just exploded. We just, I was just talking to a business partner yesterday about a handbook that they were working on and it's a multi-state handbook. And I'm like, okay, what states? And there's 33. They have this company has employees in 33 states. That's crazy. I believe it. I just hired a Zenium employee out of New York City. We're in Oregon. Like you just, you got to get where the talent's at. So you do. And it adds layers to the role for an HR person to try to keep up on that. And then on top of the multi-state, then you, what we're seeing is just the legislative impacts that are affecting employers down to like zip codes parts of zip codes and just tax implications. And so being able to keep up on that, I think for me, that's the thing that feels the most different. And yeah, there's been like technology changes too that have happened over the years. I think electronic onboarding probably for me, when I look at the roles, like the impact that that has had to streamline one particular process, it's probably that one being the biggest, but just definitely the complexity of compliance. And I correlate that with just the geographic location of employees has, it's been wild. We were joking earlier about 
you not knowing what thought leaders that you like to follow. I'm going to add this question back in and just, I'm going to find out who, who are you most likely to click share or like on social media when it comes to a thought leader and like HR leadership? I'm terrible with names, which is why I didn't want to do this question. I think maybe rather than a person, what I'll say is a content that I will share is usually related to like caring about people. And that's really broad, but how organizations are focused on retaining their employees. So cool ideas about that. Usually it's, it's psychology related. I think just my background and interest in like the inner workings of the brain and how people, why people do what they do, it probably lends itself to that. I like a lot of the stuff that Adam Grant shares. Uh, Brene Brown, I know she's not a uh, HR. I think it falls, leader, in, I think it falls but, in line with the, this industry. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of her stuff, I have been a big fan of hers before she was even like really big, like when she was first on Oprah mm. and some of her first books, mm. I really um, connected with her and her work really resonates with me. So I would say probably those two. I'm in full agreement with you on those. I want to add one extra layer. I like satirical stuff too, yeah. or people that are just kind of making fun of existing stuff in the workplace. So it's like, what, yeah. are we really still doing this? So yeah. I don't think this really fits in HR, but Laura Whaley on like Instagram, which is probably on TikTok and stuff. She always oh, has yes. fun stuff about remote work and sometimes it's right. HR, sometimes it's management stuff. It just runs the gamut, but she's really funny. So I she like tells those. it like it is and like really yeah, points totally. out like the obvious stuff that like really how we are feeling when we're rolling out of bed two minutes before our yeah. first Teams or Zoom call. And she's very funny. And there's another guy, I'm going to butcher his last name probably, so forgive me. Adam Karpiak, I believe his name is. And he's on Twitter, LinkedIn, but he's so funny and he like a dry humor. Mm-hmm. So he's, I think he does recruiting and yeah. resume editing too and he just has some of the most brilliant like original stuff and i love a balance of like serious yep like the adam grants the Brene browns i like i really like liz and molly you've probably seen those doodle graphics mm-hmm. they've got a couple books yep. like big feelings and there's another one out so i like the serious stuff too like of take care of yourself take care mm-hmm. of your people psychology mm-hmm. then i like the funny stuff <laughs> yeah i do too and i will often send you stuff that i see that's funny sometimes you yep. just need some levity Oh, 100%. What's a typical day look like for you? <laughs> Meetings. <laughs> <laughs> Video calls all day? Video calls, yeah. No day is ever the same. Mo- I probably spend most of my time supporting my team with their work. So we have a lot of newer team members. So training, shadowing, talking to clients. Also, like I said earlier, we're doing a lot of process improvement work, a lot of meetings related to that. It's flexible. Like I, that's why I've been here as long as I've been here. I love the autonomy to schedule my day the way that works best for me. And that makes the most sense for, for me in the work, but it's definitely, it's a variety of meetings. I wish I had more heads downtime, even though I don't like love doing that kind of work. I know that's one of those like high important, but not urgent items that I should make more time for. And I do use the insights within Microsoft to like, I pay attention to those and actually read them. And sometimes it's frightening what it's telling me about um, my day or my week. In fact, this morning it it told me next week, you only have four hours of open space. How do you want to use that time? That's wild. And that's just because of the number of meetings. But I do think trying to add in more time for that and for professional development would is something that I'm striving for. And Maybe saying it out loud on here will help me be. I think so. Yeah. 
meetings are tough because not all of them are great. Some of them are, you get done and you're like, that was a waste of time. That could have been an email. Yeah, that, yeah, for sure. We started doing something on our SLT group and we're starting to move this down slowly. But the S model has Mm -hmm. what's called an L10 meeting, which is level 10. It's like at the end of the meeting, you rate it from one to 10 and it should be a 10 based on how you run the meeting. And I think about that a lot. Like every meeting that I have, I'm like, it's a lot of meetings and your day is full of them. And how are you getting, are you both or the group, are you getting the most out of it? Are Mm -hmm. you asking the right questions? Are you making the best use of the time? And Mm -hmm. I think if you really looked hard at it, the answer is no in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases. Mm -hmm. So anyways, just thought I'd throw that in there. Agreed. Or do we need everyone here for this meeting? Is this, I think sometimes just there's a lot of people. And then I think the more people are involved, generally those are the meetings in my experience that kind of go sideways. Yeah. How do you stay up on industry trends resources, technology, whatever it means to be like an amazing HR director that you are, how do you stay up on everything that's changing? Probably the hardest part or one of the hardest parts of the job, honestly. I think we have just an internal just depth of knowledge and, and experience. So just working with 30 other HR people, help sharing ideas and brainstorming. We've got back to the meetings comment. We have a team meetings where we're sharing information and that that can be really effective. LinkedIn, just the content that people share on LinkedIn for me is it's a fun social way to engage with information. And so people share articles and then I'll read those articles and that's been effective. Some of the stuff that well, I've used about this for podcast years, too? This podcast <laughs> is probably the best way to get information. Yeah. No, it's true. It's true. And what I would say about just podcasts in general for me is I'm I like to be busy. So I'm not the person that's going to just sit and listen, but like grocery shopping, folding laundry, trying to get information while I'm doing other things that there's no way to avoid that you have to do. I tend to do a lot of that. And then getting the legal alerts and we've got someone that manages compliance on our team that's constantly putting information out for us. So it's a variety of things for me and a challenge, definitely a challenge for all HR people, I think. A little bit more serious. What's the hardest thing about being a working parent? It's deep. I know. I think feeling like you're not, you're, you're never like giving anything a hundred percent. And for me, I have that like perfectionistic personality. And so that feels like failing. So like getting a B plus feels like getting an F and I can recognize as I've gotten older, that's not a healthy mindset to have. And so trying to be comfortable with what's good enough, but I've said this for years, I'm a better parent because I work because the time that I do spend with my family, I think is better quality time. I think I would be a distracted parent if I just like that being still for that long or just in, just doing that only. I just don't think that would be for me and have a lot of respect for people. That's the their choice yep. or their, their setup. I don't know. What about you? I, I resonate with what you're saying so much. There's a couple of thoughts going through my head about just this topic. I think about this a lot because like you're spread thin as a parent, as a working professional, all you want to do is give it your all in both places. Mm-hmm. 
at the end of the day, the work is a means to an end. Yeah. In my, I like, I love work. I love being productive. I love contributing to something that's bigger than myself. But the reason I'm here is to for my family and community and yeah. all that stuff. However, you need the work and you need all this stuff in order to provide. So I give it my all mm-hmm. in both areas. Here's an example. Yesterday, I had a hard, like a hard working day. I had calls, I had projects. I gave it all I had for the time I worked. But when my wife texted me around three and was like, hey, there's a carnival going on in a town nearby. I'd love to take the kids. It's a beautiful day. And I was like, I can cut it off. So I bailed an hour earlier or whatever. I just cut it off at mm-hmm. four o'clock and went. So I was there 100% for work. Yep. I had a full day already. Mm-hmm. And I could have kept working, but I wanted to do this with my family and mm-hmm. enjoy. Mm-hmm. So that's that kind of stuff goes through my head all the time of just give it your all. Don't try to do, don't try to multitask. Don't try to talk to your significant other, your partner, your spouse, whatever, while also trying to do an email. Don't do both yeah. at the same time. 100% in one or 100% in the other. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think... Just from an equity lens, I feel really fortunate because we can do that. I think there are a lot of oh, I know. people I that know. don't have that kind of flexibility. So I just want to, for anybody who's listening I, to this, to, I appreciate to call you that out. That. I feel yeah. the same. And I feel like another reason why I'm here is that autonomy. And like for me, being able to have pre-planned things that I participate in. So I coached my daughter's yep. volleyball team. I'm leading a volleyball camp through the summer one day a week and I have to bail at 3.30 in order to be there and set up in time. I busted out that day and don't generally take many breaks during that particular day to make it work. And maybe I pay for it and work a little longer 100%. the day following. There's trade-offs to everything we, right. with what you do with your time. I appreciate you also calling out the fact that I may be speaking from a place of just a really great situation where I'm able to peel off. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I hope managers and leaders who are listening to this would take into account that your people are people who have lives outside of work also and to yeah. give them that flexibility to be able to peel off mm-hmm. and be there for the family. That's all that just give yeah. them that. Yeah. Whatever that look whatever that looks <laughs> whatever like that looks like. Individual. I get every work environment. It's not perfect for that. So I totally understand. Let me hit up a couple things and then I'll let you go. What do you like from on your phone? Like what's the most used app that you have? I don't know. I could look at the percentage, probably texting and my work email. And then after that, probably Instagram, probably LinkedIn, because I do look at that on my phone as well. And my camera, I'm like always taking pictures of my kids and stuff. Those are probably, and the weather app, (laughs) trying to look and see like, (laughs) is it going to rain? Yeah. What about you? Same one? Probably not texting as much. I don't, I'm not huge texter i think it's a i mean it's a guy thing i don't know like my friends just don't text a whole lot we do group texts usually when there's sports going on we just banter back and forth but not a whole lot of texting instagram is probably the worst camera app for sure yeah it's scrolling through instagram what else audible i've been doing a lot of audiobooks lately and so i think when i like scroll down to look at the apps audible is like one of the top ones that i'm picking Kindle for me, I'm not driving as much as I used to, so Audible's not at the top of my list, but it's... It's my folding laundry app. What's the thing that you're watching to veg out, like not productive, like just 
I'm just checking out. I'm rewatching Handmaid's Tale because a one. new season's going to be coming out. It's dark. Um, it is dark, and I like that. I'm like, I like the like serial killer, like <laughs> murder oh, crime. Man. Yeah. There's a new one with I'm gonna blank on it, but anyways, it's I was watching it the other night about like this haunted like theme park that's abandoned. Wow. So I like weird stuff like that. That helps me sleep good and that is out. counterintuitive. I know friend. I'm not the only one. So I know that there are people that are gonna be like, totally, those are the things that I listen to too. Just the crime. It's probably because it's just so far from your reality that it's like it Yeah. It's, just, it's a an escape. I get yeah. it. Last one, and then I'll let you go. What do you do to take a break? I ride my Peloton. I social media. I like to just talk to people. So like in the workday, a break for me might be scheduling time with a colleague that I like to connect with. That is helpful. And a lot of times we talk about work, but mm -hmm. there's something about it being a little informal and casual that is meaningful. Yesterday I was in the office and there was two two people on my team there. And I'm like, do you guys have an hour? Let's go get lunch. So we just went and grabbed food. So that awesome. for me, food is a good motivator to step away and decompress a little bit. Do you miss your Peloton buddy? I do. So whenever you're ready to get back on the bike, I will. <laughs> for people listening, Lacey and I used to, we'd ride like multiple times a week together. We'd like hop on a team's call and ride the Peloton and just chat and connect. And mm -hmm. that was always fun. But then I rode it too much and I hurt my back mm -hmm. and I had a surgery and I haven't been able to ride it for months. So I'm hoping to get back. I'm getting better. This is so fun, Lacey. Thanks for yeah. just being a trooper with all these ask me anything questions. I'd love to have you back on soon. Anytime. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lacey.